Israel, pursuing the law for righteousness, has not achieved the righteousness of the law. Why is that? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were by works. You see, he's saying, this is the problem. The Gentiles like us, we didn't even care about righteousness. It wasn't even on our radar to think we could make ourselves righteous. But we're getting this wonderful free gift by faith. While the people of Israel who were pursuing righteousness, or at least pursuing the law of righteousness, they've missed out. And the most important sentence there is that last one, verse 32. It just drives to the heart of everything. What was the problem? Why'd they miss out? They did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were by works. That was their problem. They thought, if I just keep enough of God's law, I'll be okay. If I just do enough good things, then God will accept me. If I just do enough religious things, then surely that will make up for my sin. And this wasn't just a problem for the Jews of Paul's day. This has been a problem for religious people throughout history. And in fact, that attitude is the heart of religion and Jesus hates it. He hates religion in that sense. He hates anything where people say, I can earn my salvation by what I do. We cannot make ourselves right with God by what we do. It might be different if we could keep God's law perfectly. See, if we could love God with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our strength and all of our mind, and if we could really love our neighbour as we love ourselves, if we could do that, then we might be able to be righteous in that way. It's interesting, I read that passage with my kids just by God's providence, just by chance, during the week. Uh, We were reading it over the dinner table, you know, where the man comes to Jesus and says, what's the whole Old Testament law about? And Jesus says, you can summarise in two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And then the second is like it, love your neighbour as yourself. And it was interesting, the response of my kids. If you know my kids, you can ask them which one answered which way. But one of them said, I said, what's this about? What are we, what are we doing with this? And, the, and one of them said, well, that means we've got to love God more. And we've got to love our neighbour more. But another one of them said, we can't do that. And that's the right answer. They're sort of both right in a different sort of way. But do you understand it? You see, what, what God's law does is it says to you, you cannot keep this. No one can love God with all their heart, all their soul, all their mind, all their strength. If you could, you would live by it. That's what it's saying there in chapter 10, verse 5. Look there. He says, for Moses writes about the righteousness that is from the law. The one who does these things will live by them. It's saying, if you keep all of God's law, you will live. But you must keep it all. And who can keep it all? No one can. So no one receives the righteousness that is from the law. Actually, that's not quite true. Uh, One person has. Jesus has kept it all. The one who came to save us. He alone is righteous. And that is why we cannot earn our righteousness. We have to accept the gift of righteousness that Jesus gives to us. And Jesus says, trust in me and I will give you my righteousness. And it's a gift, not something you earn. But people still think they can earn it. People think, yeah, yeah, I hear that. But if I just try harder, if I just be more religious, but the Apostle Paul says, no, it's by faith alone. Look with me at chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. 
He says, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them, that is his fellow Jews, my desire and prayer is for their salvation. I can testify about them that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. I think that is one of the scariest verses in the Bible. Verse 2, chapter 10. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, you can be zealous for God and be in hell. That's what he's saying. You can be zealous for God and not be saved. Now, don't mishear this. Zeal for God is a good thing. He's not saying, so go and be lukewarm. He's not saying, go and be lukewarm. It's so sad when you see lukewarm Christians. When you see Christians who just sort of fit God in around what are clearly the things that are far more important to them in their life. Now, Jesus says, if you are my disciple, you should be zealous. You'd be committed. Give your life in my service. What does he say? Take up your cross daily and follow me. Give up your life for me, Jesus says. We mustn't ever downplay the massive call that Jesus makes on anyone who wants to be his disciple. And some of us here need to hear that word. We need to be challenged. Where is your zeal for God? But at the same time, it's even sadder than that when you see misplaced religious zeal. See, the Apostle Paul did not doubt that his fellow Jews were zealous. He didn't doubt that it was real. He didn't doubt they honestly believed that they could earn their own righteousness. He didn't doubt that they really did want to keep God's law. But, and this is frightening, it is possible to spend your whole life striving to please God, thinking that you are pleasing God, and yet fail to be saved. You may have guessed before by my opening, I never played basketball. Uh, I played rugby for many years. Uh, I think God designed me more that way than for basketball. But one day at school, they needed someone for the basketball team. And I thought, well, how hard can it be? I mean, seriously. Uh, So I said, I'll play. I'll be the extra player. Uh, I broke the record for the quickest ejection from the basketball court in the history of our school. It's a proud record, I held. Because I had committed five fouls in 27 seconds. So (laughs) I was off the court. That was it. But here's the thing. I was very zealous I was very zealous at getting the ball off the other team. I just thought you could tackle them to do it, you know. Uh, I didn't know the rules, so I couldn't play the game. See, I might genuinely believe that basketball would be a much better game if you could tackle people. I might genuinely believe it and zealously apply it, but it doesn't change the rules of basketball, does it? It doesn't change the reality that I zealously believe it. See, you cannot be saved by works. No matter how hard you try, because we all have this problem of sin that needs forgiveness. And you cannot atone for your sin, only Jesus' death can. And you receive it by faith in Christ alone. See, I wonder if we Christians in the Western world are so confronted by the way many people are totally indifferent to God, that we think that any enthusiasm... And any excitement and any zeal in the name of God or in the name of religion must be good. It's not good. When the Jehovah's Witness knocks on your door, I've heard Christians say, oh, isn't their zealous for God good? No, they're worshipping a false god. It's not good. It's sad. 
When the Muslim prays every day to Allah, it's not good, it's sad. When the Buddhist meditates every day, it is sad. When the Roman Catholic believes that they can pray to God through Mary or through the saints, it is sad. It doesn't matter how zealous there is. I don't doubt their zeal, but it's not a good thing. It is misplaced and it should actually make us weep and pray for people. For their salvation because God says there is only one way to find me. God says there is only one way to find righteousness. There is only one way to be saved and that way is by faith in Jesus. As he puts it back in chapter 9 verse 30, look there. It's the righteousness that comes from faith. See the thing for these Jews of Paul's day and for religious people in our world today is that you will work and work if you think I've got to please God I've got to please God I've got to you will work and you will work and you will never find what you're looking for that's why religious people have no assurance none at all because no matter how hard we try we still sin and no matter how hard we try we still fail there's always more to do but how different is the righteousness that comes from faith it's totally different it's so simple that's what these funny verses there from verse 6 are all about. Look there with me. It says, But the righteousness that comes from faith speaks like this. Do not say in your heart who will go up to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will go down into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. On the contrary, what does it say? The message is near you in your mouth and in your heart. Now what's all that about? Uh, he's quoting from the Old Testament there when, when Moses was telling the Jews of his day that it's so simple, it's Deuteronomy 30, and he's saying that the word of God is so simple. How to be saved is so simple and it's so easy to find. You don't need to go on a spiritual quest. You don't need this religious experience that takes you up into the heavens to find the answers. You don't need to go down into Hades to find the answers. You don't need some spiritual experience. It's not some mystery you need to solve. It's not out of anyone's reach. You don't need some guru to come and explain it to you. It's right here for anyone and everyone to know and understand because God has come and revealed it to us in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And he has left it for us in the form of a simple message, a word which we can hear and we can understand and we can grasp and we can take it to heart. And the word of faith, the message of the gospel is right here for anyone who wants to hear it. And what is it? What is this simple message? Just look at these great verses from the end of verse 8. This is the message of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Are you saved? I'm not asking, does the person sitting next to you think you are saved? I'm not asking, do I think you're saved? I'm asking, are you saved? That's the question. Is there any more important question than that? Are you saved and the answer is so simple do you believe in your heart honestly and sincerely 
that God raised Jesus from the dead. Do you believe that? Why does he focus on that, do you think, on the resurrection? Well, if you believe that Jesus is risen, you also believe he died for your sins. You believe that he defeated death. You believe that he lives now as your risen Lord and Saviour, that he intercedes for you in heaven with the heavenly Father. You believe that he is the risen Lord of everything, including of you and your life. But do you notice it's not just do you believe it in your heart? You notice that in those verses? It's do you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? You hear lots of people, even I've heard them even here in Church in the Bank, say my faith is a private thing. It's between me and God. That's rubbish. It's rubbish. In fact, it's a sign that you're not saved. It's a sign that you do not have saving faith. True faith is never private. If we say that we believe, we are, but we're not willing to stand up and be counted and have people know he is with Jesus, then deep down we don't believe it. Deep down he's not our Lord. Billy Graham, you know who Billy Graham is back many years ago who preached the gospel to thousands of people, thousands of people became Christians. Billy Graham at his crusades, he used to tell people, if you have come to Jesus tonight, that's wonderful, but now I want you to go and tell one person. I want you to go home and tell your mum. I want you to go home and tell your dad. I want you to go home and tell your wife. I want you to go home and tell your husband, whoever it is. See, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is the risen Lord. So I want to ask you that question again. Are you saved? And if not, I want to say to you, why not now? Now's as good a time as any. There's a hundred people here you can tell afterwards. Just choose one. Just choose one person. Do you believe in your heart? If you do, go and tell someone tonight, Jesus is my Lord. And the point here is that that salvation is available to everyone and anyone. Look at verses 11 and 12. It says, now the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, since the same Lord of all is rich to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. See, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how you have lived up until now. It doesn't matter if you were born into a Jewish household, or if you were born into a Muslim household, or if you were born into an atheist household, or if your parents are Roman Catholic, or heaven forbid you were born into an Anglican household. It doesn't matter doesn't matter what your family history is. It doesn't matter. Salvation is available to everyone. And more than that, it's saying there is no other way for salvation. It's not like, yeah, Jesus is our saviour, but other people have some other way of getting right with God. There is one Lord who offers salvation to anyone who calls on the name of Jesus. Faith in Christ. That is the one and the only way to be saved. And the thing is, if we understand that, if we understand that, if we understand that, then the future of every individual human being on this planet depends on one thing. The eternal future of every human being on this planet depends on one thing, hearing about Jesus. Everything else is secondary. 
That's what matters. Which is what drives this wonderful next part of the passage. Look with me at verse 14. It says, But how can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who announce the gospel of good things. You hear what that's saying? Put it very, very starkly, people need to believe in Jesus or they remain under the condemnation of God. And people cannot believe in Jesus if no one tells them about him. And they will never hear of Jesus unless we send people to tell them about him. And that someone who tells them could be a preacher like me or it could be one of our missionaries like the Turners or, or the Shoals. But more often, do you know who it is when you ask around here who was the person with beautiful feet who brought you the good news? Who, who is it more often? I'll tell you who it is. It's the youth leader or the Sunday school teacher or the scripture teacher. If you are one of those people here tonight, just take off your shoes later and look at your feet because you have beautiful feet. Even if they're covered in tinea and also, or, you know. <laughs> I want to say to you, feel this burden. If you feel this burden tonight, come and speak to me about how you could have beautiful feet in one of those roles. But it's not just the teachers. So often, who is it? It's the work colleague who shares the gospel with someone. So often, it's the person who studies with us. Or, or it's the teammate in the soccer team. See, just think for a moment, who was the person or people with beautiful feet who came to you? Might have been your own mum and dad. For some of you, I know that's the case. We must feel the burden of these questions. How will they be saved if someone does not tell them? I remember once at my old work many years ago, they got one of those power of positive thinking guys in to talk to us. And I thought it was great because actually just gave me an hour and a half to sleep up the back of the auditorium. But... Um, he said one thing, he said, every person who comes into your life comes into your life for a reason. And I remember him joking, even the really annoying ones. Uh, he, he says they have something to teach you, you've just got to work out what it is. Uh, and as I say, at the time I rolled my eyes and thought what a load of rubbish, but it's sort of right in the opposite sort of way. Uh, every person who comes into our life, God has brought for a reason, even the annoying ones, but you don't have to work out what that reason is, God's word has told you. Every person who comes into your life has come there so that you might have the opportunity to confess to them that Jesus is Lord. That's why they've come. And so they might have the opportunity to hear about Jesus and believe in him and so be saved. Now don't forget last week, chapter 9 and chapter 10 are a package deal. Uh, last week we heard about how it's all part of God's sovereign plan. God chooses, God works in people to bring them to faith. But this is the amazing thing. God, for some reason, God could just zap people. He would just say, here it goes, bang, and you wake up in the morning and you go, well, I believe in Jesus. And I had a dream overnight and there it is. It's wonderful. God could work that way. It's his world. He's in control. But God, in his wisdom, chooses a different way of working and that way is you. That is how God has chosen to work in the world. He says, this is how I am going to bring my chosen ones to salvation. I'm going to have this ordinary Christian 
like Rob or Phil or whoever. I'm just going to have them go and talk about Jesus and I will use that to save this person. So the Bible is saying to you here tonight, if you believe in Jesus, it's saying, how could you not be a part of God's plan to take the message of salvation to all people? I'm going to close with three quick applications for us. Uh, and they're very brief. The first is the gospel is for everyone, but we can't reach everyone. Uh, even if we faithfully told every person we meet, there's just not enough of us here yet to, to tell everyone, even in our area. So we must send people. That's the first application. We must send people to preach the good news. And this is why we send missionaries. Uh, and when it says send, it doesn't mean give them a pat on the back and say, good for you. Tell us about Tanzania in four years' time when you get back. When we send them, it means praying for them faithfully. That's what it means. It means financially supporting them generously. It means providing for them physically and emotionally and spiritually. So what a privilege we have to support our link missionaries. People like the Turners, people like the Shoals, people like the Beatties, and now the Blousers, who this is their last Sunday with us, who we're sending on their way. So don't, now you can't go and say cheerio and give them a pat on the back tonight. But what they would love more than a cheerio is you saying, I will pray for you because we're sending you because we can't go, but you can. And I want to say to you, if you're not a member of CMS, if you do not support mission work in some way beyond our work here out in the world by supporting a mission organisation, put it on your feedback slip tonight. Write it down, something like, tell me about mission support, something like that. And Troy or I or Kevin will get in contact with you and explain to you how you can support world mission through prayer and other means. I want to ask, how will the people of the world hear if we don't send people to tell them? But at the same time, we must never forget that our job is not done by sending others. We are called to confess our Lord. Yes, the pygmies in the Congo need to hear the gospel. Have you ever noticed how it's always the pygmies who people bring up? What about the pygmies, people say? I don't know what it is about the pygmies that they need it. So anyway, but everyone needs to hear the gospel. So the pygmies need to hear it. The communists in Cuba need to hear it. But so does the lady across the street from you. And so does the person who sits at the de desk next door to you at work. And so does the person who you play soccer with. And the average Aussie you catch the train with. They all need to hear it. How beautiful are the feet of those who announce the gospel of good news. Yes, our link missionaries have beautiful feet. But so do we if we will simply share Christ with people. And finally, come back with me to verse 1 of chapter 10. It says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them is for their salvation. What is your heart's desire? If we know people who are lost, then the apostle is challenging us here that we should long with all our heart for their salvation. And because of what we learned last week in chapter 9, that must drive us to prayer. Prayer for the lost. This is just a question, and it's sort of a personal confession. I wonder if I need to repent of my prayerlessness, especially for the lost. I wonder if we're too nice on ourselves sometimes. And we go, yeah, yeah, I know I should pray more. And then we do nothing about it. I just want to ask you tonight, do you need to repent of your prayerlessness with me, especially for the lost? What do you think? 
How long each day do I spend on my knees begging God to have mercy on the people I know and the people I don't know of this world? And if I'm too busy, then what on earth is it that I'm doing that's more important? What is it? Because it must be very important. I want to talk more about this in the future, but as a first step, I just want to ask you, do you need to join me in being more prayerful for the lost? The feet of those who bring the gospel to people are very beautiful, but it is God who works through his word to change people's hearts. And so, yes, let's be speakers of the gospel, but more than that, let's be a people of prayer for the lost. Let's do that right now. Our Heavenly Father, we pray for every person we know who does not yet trust in the Lord Jesus. Give us the grace and give us the courage to speak about Jesus with them. And we pray that you might work through that to bring them to salvation. And we pray for any person here tonight who does not yet call on the name of Jesus, that tonight might be the night they do that. We pray that they might believe in their heart that he is the risen Lord and then share that, confess that, that he is their Lord and Saviour. And Father, we pray for every one of us. Give us that desire to see the lost saved. And may we be a people of prayer for them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I think Troy's going to introduce a couple of songs. But there's an SMS number up there. If you are keen to ask some questions in that manner, you can always put up your hand as well.